I do fear a slaughter of people in Gaza. And the reason why I'm speaking out so clearly about this now is that I think there is a choice being made one way or the other whether to move military operations into an assault on Rafah. Now, I understand why the Israelis might wish to have an assault on Rafah, but the consequence of such an operation is, I am afraid to say, a massive impact on the 1.1 million people living there, quite probably a slaughter because the humanitarian operation have no illusions about it. We can barely function at the moment due to a variety of issues. Do not rely on us to be able to protect people in that area during such an operation. We can't. We will not be able to. It's difficult enough as it is at the moment. But if there is that further operation, it's going to be something worse than we've seen even in these many weeks of the war in Gaza. I remember at the start of this when you said it wasn't rocket science to get aid in, but of course you needed cooperation from all sides. And that clearly isn't happening. We had the World Health Organization today. There was a press conference where they said they'd been trying to resupply and restock hospitals further north, uh, obviously coming through Rafa. That's not been happening. And now supplies are critically low. So how much longer can this actually go on? Well, it's not really going on at the moment. We fear that the level of food stocks, for example, inside Gaza is probably very low. The World Food Programme has been making statements about that, as you know. We fear that if there is a military operation in and around Rafah, that the Rafah crossing will close, further compressing our ability to deliberate. We fear that the disorder, the civil disorder that has made going in and out of Koresh Shanom so difficult will continue, making the movement of trucks there even more difficult. We don't need to fear, because it's a fact, that we cannot go to the north because fighting is still going on there. So our ability to restock, as you mentioned, WHO has been very busy with, very much impeded. And that's before we even start talking about the fact that there isn't anywhere safe for people to go in Gaza. It is an illusion to think that there is some wonderful part of Gaza where you can go and be safe from the war because the displacement continues and continues many, many times for the victims of this war as the war spreads. So what the thing I fear most is that this war will now spread into that pocket in the south around Rafah with a huge number of people, five times the normal number that lived there in an already densely populated area at a time when we are very, very limited in our capacity and movement. So that really brings me to the next question. Where on earth are these people going to go? I think many people are looking to the United Nations for a solution. And you've expressed many times your solidarity with those who are in crisis and the, the very many vulnerable people within Gaza. So what can you do? Well, look, first of all, it's for the people to decide where they want to go and when and how. And they have that right under international law, as you know. But let's be very clear, don't blame the United Nations for the fact that there's no place of great safety in Gaza. I'm not going to sit here and take the hit for the fact that there are no places of safety to move people in Gaza. We will provide whatever we can to people where they decide to be, wherever it is, wherever it is, if we can get to them safely. God knows we've had our own 
massive number of casualties, as you know, from the numbers of UNRWA colleagues killed. Um, you've seen the impact of civil disorder on our convoys and our drivers being brutally beaten up by some of the populations both sides of the border. We're not escaping our humanitarian responsibilities, but our humanitarian responsibilities do not include forcible movement of people to a place which is an illusion in Gaza at the moment, one of safety. So staying with that problem of guaranteeing humanitarian supplies and relief to people who need it so desperately, what are you doing? I mean, are you working the phones? Who are you talking to? How are you trying to get this population more safe somehow? We have, and I must pay tribute to Israel, Egypt, the United States, we have daily, nightly conversations with these representatives about exactly these matters. And we have had from the beginning of this conflict. So but we, some might say that those really aren't achieving very much, given that we are in the position we are now. I think there's massive frustration. It's not the United Nations' fault, clearly, but you must be yourself incredibly frustrated by the way things are turning out. There is presumably no plan B. There isn't a plan B, because we've all seen the scenes of carnage and reduction of safety and compression of people in Gaza. I'm angry about that fact, just as I'm angry about the hideous suffering in Sudan. I look with great interest daily, hourly, as you do, at the negotiations that are ongoing just recently in Cairo, for example. Gaza shows us that there is something called international diplomacy. There can be international attention to try and resolve the conflict. I think it's very impressive that all sides are engaging in that. But giving us the opportunity to do what we can do and only we can do well, which is humanitarian operations, that seems somehow to be on the back foot. For example, we have been trying to assess operational opportunities in the north of Gaza, and yet we haven't been able to send convoys there for some time. I think because the, the fighting started again. We discussed this, with, of course, with the Israelis, and they said, no, it's too dangerous to go forward. So, of course, we didn't. We listened to them. I mean, nat naturally, they are the occupying power there. So it's not as if we're not talking to people. We talk to lots of people. We, we negotiate with many sides, with many parties. We try persuasion. We try public advocacy. We try to get the food from Ashdod, which was sent there, paid for by the United States, to UNRWA. We try to get that food into Gaza. We have succeeded in these negotiations, if you go back to the opening of the Rafah crossing and then of the Koresh Shanom crossing. It hasn't been without some success. You will remember the seven-day pause that was negotiated between the parties some time back. It allowed us to do a great deal in terms of humanitarian resupplying and humanitarian assistance. Uh, we called for an immediate, and, uh, an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. But a pause, a stoppage, an opportunity for the humanitarian community to do its job, and God knows we have some of the best humanitarian operators in the world involved in this operation because it is of the highest importance. We're very conscious of that. Um, people both inside Gaza, our own staff, many national staff who take great risks. We have good people, we have aid available, 
like, but we just don't have the conditions that will enable us to do the task that we would like to do. So there's no question you'll be leaving Gaza? We will never leave the people of Gaza. We express daily our solidarity with the people of Gaza, just as we express daily our solidarity with UNRWA, the lifeline for the people of Gaza. No, of course we won't leave. We will be there for them. We are completely attached to their survival. We are desperately willing to take whatever risks are necessary to try to get to them. But we need some basic conditions of safety. We need deconfliction to work. We need roads to be opened, which are not completely mined. We need clarity about whether the people who are being asked to move are going somewhere safe. We need trucks to be reliably able to move through those two crossing points. And we need more than that. We need the private sector and commercial operations as well, upon which, as you will remember, Gaza depended before October the 7th for 80% of its sustenance. So there are many things we need, and, and it's not a secret what we need. We've been talking about it all these many weeks. My fear is that we're now, because of a choice that has been considered in Tel Aviv, potentially moving into a phase of this war where we will see a slaughter of those civilians, an even worse condition than we have seen so far. There is a choice being made. It can be avoided if the right choice is made.